to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Well, it's my privilege to uh, bring you the uh, part six of our series, The Final Words of Jesus on the Cross. And I want to talk about the word victory. The word victory. Amen. The world is filled with many unfinished projects, unfinished buildings, unfinished dreams, unfinished resolutions, incomplete resolution. I am guilty of that growing up. My father has spent a lot of money uh, trying to make me into a better person. They thought I could sing, and so they sent me to PA, People's Association, to learn how to sing at four or five. I still remember every Saturday, my dad would drive me and he would bring me into a class and there I'll do all the warm-ups. And uh, he would be outside reading his newspapers and uh, he was expecting me to become a great singer. After a few months, I gave up. Incomplete, unfinished business. A few years later, I thought I'll be an organist so I can play the organ. So he sent me to Yamaha Music School paid hundreds of dollars, bought an organ. In those days, it's about $4,000 for an organ, if you remember, parents. And he was expecting me to become a real good pianist and someone who can play the organ. I learned for four or five years. Some Saturdays, I would miss the lesson without their knowledge. Don't learn from me, my children. <laughs> and I will go uh, to Katong Shopping Center to... Uh, in those days, there was no LAN gaming, but you, you can actually rent a computer set because we didn't have a computer back at home, and I'll be playing Romance of the Three Kingdom. It was floppy disk, five and a quarter, and the load that, that ink. Da, 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 da. If you remember those days, that dates you guys. And after a few years, the organ sits there in my house as a white elephant. I didn't complete my dream to be an organist. And then I went swimming. I was going for my bronze. I, I almost drowned. I didn't complete my swimming lesson. My dad paid for me to go uh, for, the, for my final year in RMIT, of course, uh, long distance. I did half a year. I didn't finish. Guys, my life is a series of unfinished business. I'm so glad I turned out well and I pray that in my faith, I'll Still, like Paul said, that I'll finish the race. I'll complete my assignment. I'll keep the faith and, and I'll end well. I think most of us have many unfinished businesses. I'm sure if I pass the mic to you, that you, you can tell me at least one thing that you started but you didn't finish, whether it's a business venture, whether it's a, a school, you know, whatever it is, there are things that we didn't finish. But there's only one person who has ever lived and ever died that can proudly say, completely say that he has finished everything that the Father has sent him to do. His name is Jesus. So let's read the verse uh, in John 4, verse 34. The Bible tells us that this is, this is Jesus' overarching goal, that this is his one single goal of his life. And John 4, 34 tells us that Jesus said, I must finish the work that God gave me to do. That's his primary obsession. He wants to finish the work. 
I'm so glad that he did. Amen. Because in uh, John, I think the next verse, please. In John chapter 19, Jesus said, knowing that all was completed so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. We spoke about that last Sunday. After Jesus was given a drink, he said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. After he, had, he was given a drink, Jesus said, it is finished. Turn to the person next to you and say, it is finished. There are some key words in this verse. You should underline all these words in your Bible. The Bible says, knowing that all was now completed. All was now completed. Jesus said, it is finished. And one of the most overlooked phrase in this verse is the word, and he gave up his spirit, which means that he voluntarily gave up his spirit. No one took his life. He voluntarily gave up his goals and he says, God, my job's done. Here I am. I commit my spirit to you. Friends, I call this phrase, it is finished, the word of victory. It is the three most important words of your life, of my life. It is the three most powerful words that any man could have ever declared and said on this side of eternity. See, friends, after a great game, after a major contest, after a war, when a war concluded, there are always great statements of victory. For example, you know, when, when Neil Armstrong first stepped foot uh, on the moon, he says, one small step for mankind, right? And one small step, but one big leap for mankind, right? I misquote him, but it was a great statement. Yes, when, John, when, when, uh, Gen- when General MacArthur was... Uh, li- uh, he made this statement. He says, I will be back. And he came back to the Philippines. Of course, Arnold Schwarzenegger said something similar in Terminator. He says, I will be back. All right, but there are all these statements of victory. But this statement that Jesus made, these three words, it is finished, is the greatest statement of all time. Somebody say, Amen. In fact, friends, I want, you to, I want to tell you that these three words are the most important words in your life. When Jesus said it is finished, He determined your future, my future. If Jesus had not said these words, you and I wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be heading towards heaven and this world would be a very different place. But the Bible tells us that Jesus didn't just whisper those words. Jesus shouted it. Jesus spoke it out. He declared it at the top of His voice. And can I suggest to you that that's the reason why he asked for a, for a drink? Because he was thirsty, his throat was parched. And he wanted to declare that in full voice. And so he asked for a drink. And you heard this last Sunday. And after the Bible says he was given the drink, he said it was finished. He wants everyone to hear that. He wants the soldiers who crucified him. He wants the thieves beside him to hear that. He wants um, the people who was witnessing his death, to hear that. He wants the principates and powers to hear that. He says, it is finished. It's a powerful phrase. Turn to the person next to you again and say, it is finished. finished. One more time, it is finished. finished. See friends, the irony of this statement is that when Jesus said it, nobody understood it at that that moment. You've got to just imagine this. When he says, it is finished, I'm sure the whole place must be confused. What's finished? Who's finished? You are finished. I mean, people must be wondering, what is he talking about? 
the Romans, the passerby, the Lucas, and even the believers, they didn't get what was going on. When Jesus shouted, it is finished, I can just imagine the Romans probably were thinking, it is finished, yes. The revolutionary that has caused all this commotion, who has been causing all this noise in the city, is finished. Good riddance, he's finished. Yay! The Romans thought so. When Jesus said it is finished, perhaps Pontius Pilate thought, great, my political headaches finish. The guy is dead. Since I heard about him, he has been giving me nothing but problems. So glad he's finished. I believe the religious leaders heard Jesus said it is finished and they must be thinking, good, our competition is finished. Jesus, you know, he was trying to start a new religion. I'm so glad that we are so glad it's over. He's finished. <laughs> I believe even the disciples, when they heard Jesus said it is finished, must be thinking, I think so. Three and a half years of walking with Jesus, talking to Jesus, all these amazing teachings, the miracles, sleepless nights, because he woke us up when we were trying to sleep uh, in the boat. The storm came and we saw a ghost. All these amazing things that were happening. It's all, it's all gone. The hope of the Messiah coming to give us a brand new nation. All finished. I think that's, that was what was going through in the disciples' mind. I believe even the, the devil thought that it's finished. That he won. He has killed God. He has won and the Son of God is finish. So nobody actually understood what was finished. And even this morning, I believe there's some of us who might be wondering, why is he talking about what was finished? See friends, I'm here to say this to you, that Jesus did not say, I am finished. Hello? He didn't say, I finished! Ah, no! Because he wasn't. Three days later, he rose from the dead. He says, it is finished. And these are the three most important words ever recorded in history. Nothing will be ever more important to you in your life, in my life, than these three words. So one more time with, in full voice, let's declare it. It is finished. It is finished. It is finished. I want to explain a few things to you this morning before we come to a close. The first thing I want to, to explain to you this morning is that it is finished. These three words in the Bible is actually one word in Greek. Three words in English, but one word in Greek. And the Greek word is tetelestai. Tetelestai. Re repeat that after me, please. Greek lesson this morning. One, two, three. Tetelestai. It is the correct pronunciation because I asked Google, all right? So, Tetelestai. One more time. One, two, three. So, just imagine he had a drink and then he said, Come on. One more time. Jesus asked for a drink. The soldier came, gave him the, the drink. He drank and he said, Tetelestai. In full voice. Everyone heard it. Tetelestai. It is finished. It's one Greek word. In ancient Greek, the telestai was a beautiful word. 
It was a well-known word. It's like what Andre said a couple of weeks ago, baptizo is an everyday Greek word, baptize, immerse in. So, so tetelestai is a common man word. It's, it's a common Greek word. It had a lot of different usages. See, the English language is limited. Chinese deeper, Greek a lot deeper, English limited, but too bad, teenagers, you still have to learn English in school. All right, but the English language is limited, right? The, the word tetelestai had at least five major uses. So when Jesus shouts out tetelestai, it is finished, he's implying that all five of these are finished in his work here on the earth. And so let's briefly talk about that. You can go home, do some research, but tetelestai, a servant would use it. A servant, a slave, an employee, a servant would use the word tetelestai. A servant would come in, having completed all of his assignments, done all his tasks, finished all the jobs, and he would say to his, his employer, Master, boss, tetelestai. Which means, I've done all the work you gave me to do. So tomorrow, when you go back to the office, you can go to your boss after you complete your assignment, impress your boss by saying, Boss, to tell us die. <laughs> a servant would use it. It's a common word. Teenagers, after you finish your homework, go to your parents and say, Dad, Mom, to tell us die. The job's done. A servant would use it. Amen? Are you still with me? Hello? All right. Number two, a judge would use it in the courtroom. In fact, to tell us die is a judicial term, a judge would bang the gavel and say, Tetelestai, meaning the sentence has been served. Justice has been satisfied. So take, for example, Jason committed a crime and he served uh, a few days in jail. And after that, he come out of jail. He stand before the judge and the judge took, took a gravel and the judge just banged the gavel and said, Jason, Tetelestai, you have served your time. You are now free to go. Tetelestai. Are you with me? A judge would use that term in the boardroom, in the courtroom, excuse me. The accountants would use this in a different way. It's, it's also a business term. It, 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 it actually meant paid in full. In those days, in the ancient time, they would actually make stamps that would say Tetelestai, and when you pay off a bill, the accountants would stamp it to Talestai, which meant paid in full, and the debt has been cancelled. I mean, so you would bring your bill to the accountant, and he stamps it and says to Talestai, paid in full, done deal. The word is also used by artists. Any artists here? Of course. Used by artists. When the artist made the final brushstroke on that painting, he would say, Tetelestai with a paintbrush. It looks really proud. Which simply means the painting is finished. It's completed. All the details are there. It's been completed. Nothing more to, be, to add to this picture. Tetelestai. Beautiful word. Any artist here? Your final stroke? Tetelestai. Tetelestai. There's nothing more to add. So this picture is perfect. To tell us, is it too small? Try to squint your eyes. 
Thank you, Andre. <laughs> to tell next time. Job's done. The final way the word is used is the word is used by priests in a Jewish temple. The priests, when they offer a perfect sacrifice, would say in Greek, the talestai, which means the sacrifice has been made. Beautiful word. See, it's one Greek word, many different usages. And Jesus, when he declared the talestai, I believe, uh, was using it in all five ways. Amen. See, friends, as I said, this is the most important one Greek word, three English words in our lives. The most important phrase of your life and my life. If Jesus, if Jesus hadn't said this, there's no hope for your life, there's no hope for heaven, there's no hope of, of God's power, no hope for healing, no hope for deliverance, no hope for freedom. But because Jesus said to tell us die, this is the nutshell of Christianity. Amen. This is, this is what Jesus came to fulfill. To tell us die. This is the crux of our faith. Amen. So what did Jesus finish when he said it is finished? What exactly did he mean when he says to tell us die? It is finished. I believe there are five things, at least five. Number one, I believe Jesus fulfilled what God had promised us. He finished that. He fulfilled it. Completed. Everything God had promised us. See, friends, there are over 380 prophecies about the coming of Christ in the Old Testament predicting what Jesus would do, what He would say, where He would be born, and how He would die. And Jesus fulfilled every one of those prophecies. In fact, in Luke chapter 24, there's a story that happened after the cross. He's resurrected. He's actually walking down the street a few days later, the week after he, He's died on the cross. And this is on the road to Emmaus. And He said, Jesus said, this is what I told you. He was speaking to two of uh, the, the, the disciples who were hopeless. He says, this is what I told you. Which means when Jesus was alive and He was with them before He died. What I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Can you imagine? Wow! He said, everything in the Old Testament about me must be fulfilled. Not something, not a few things. Everything must be fulfilled. Then He opened their minds so they could understand the Scripture. Jesus gave them a five-second Bible study. One, two, three. Bam! Understood completely. From Genesis to Revelation. Alright, there's no Revelation there. To Malachi, alright. Everything about Jesus. They understood. So everything must be fulfilled. It's not just in the past that He fulfilled prophecies about Him, but also promises in the future. That's what we did this morning. Andre was declaring the promise of healing fulfilled in Jesus. The promise of deliverance fulfilled. The promise of provision fulfilled in Jesus. The promise of joy and abundance all fulfilled in Jesus. You have to understand this. The cross is the centerpiece of history. The Old Testament prophets, the Old Testament patriarchs, the Old Testament saints look forward to the cross and they look ahead and say, Jesus, the Messiah, He's coming and everything will be fulfilled in Him. You and I look back to the cross 2,000 years ago and say, it has been fulfilled, it was fulfilled. And we look back and say, it is finished. All the promises... We have to look at the Scriptures literally and say, God, everything you said is fulfilled. It's interesting that Andre quoted from the verse in um, Isaiah 58. 
53, excuse me. I didn't sleep last night, so 53. And do you know that Peter quoted the, the, the same verse in his epistle, and Peter, instead of saying, you are healed, says, and you were healed. It's interesting. Isaiah said, you are healed. Peter, looking back to the fulfillment of the cross, said, and you were healed. Past tense. Friends, God is a promise keeper. And this morning, I want to impress that on your heart. Some of you are still waiting for God's promises to come to pass. Promise of healing for some of you. Promise of a child for some of you. Promise of a breakthrough in your finances for some of you. Promise you know, in your family life for some of you. Promise of joy in your work for some of you. But friends, I want to tell you this. God is a promise keeper. Whatever He said to you, He will watch over His word to perform it. He will watch over His word to keep it. You can trust Him. Let's read 2 Corinthians 1.20. All of God's promises have been fulfilled in Him. That's why we say, Amen! When we give glory to through Christ. All of God's promises have been fulfilled in Him. In Him. He fulfilled what God had promised us. That's the first thing when He said, It is finished. All the promises, all the prophecies fulfilled. Second meaning, I believe, it is finished. Jesus satisfied what God's justice required. Hallelujah. Come on, some of you should just make some noise where you are. Jesus satisfied what, God just, what God's justice required. See, friends, God is a God of justice and He's a God of order. The only reason the universe works is because that's God's nature. God wired the universe to run on certain laws. There are laws of physics. You learn this in school, Titus. The laws in astronomy. The laws in chemistry. God designed all these laws. That's the law of gravity. If you don't believe me, try jumping up. You will come down. Just imagine, what, how about if the law of gravity just worked every other day? Alternate days. Monday, Wednesday, Friday. That's gravity. Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, gravity takes off. When you wake up in the morning, you have to you know, just some, somehow find your way around by floating. No, the law of gravity works all the time. Amen? So God designed the entire universe so that the rotations work, the gravity works, and the laws of thermodynamics work all the time. And God's laws are unchanging. It's always working. There are spiritual laws, there are moral laws, there are relational laws, and God is a God of justice and law. And God gave the moral laws, listen, to Moses and to the nation of Israel and to, to the Jews. And the Jews were to take the moral laws and share them with everyone else. That's why, what they were chosen by God for. Law is good. Turn to the person next and say, the law is good. The Bible says the law is a tutor. The law is good. But the law is not perfect. The law is limited in trying to transform our lives. I mean, but the law is good. A country with, with no rule of law usually ends up in corruption and poverty. 
A country with strong rule of law, good rule of law, prospers. The law is good. But the problem is, human beings, you and I, 10% say, you, 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 come on. You and I have two problems with the laws of God. Number one, listen, we are completely unable to keep them all. The law is good. No problem. The problem is we can't keep all the laws. We are constantly breaking the law. That's why the Bible says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In fact, Romans 8 says this, the law of Moses could not save us because of our sinful nature, but God put into effect a different plan to save us. He sent His own Son in a human body like ours, except that ours are sinful. God destroyed sin's control over us by giving His Son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the requirements of the law would be fully accomplished for who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit, and so on and so forth. The law is good. The problem is we can't keep the law. And Jesus Christ is the only person in human history who ever kept all of God's law perfectly. The law is good. The problem is we can't keep them. In fact, this morning, some of us had lied. Hello. Some of us lost our cool. Me. I was upset with my kids. My kids lost their cool, upset with me. Right? Oh, I'm, I mean, Jason raised his voice at oh, no, this is a. Jason said, Oh, I love you. I, I mean, all of us who have fallen short every morning, every day as we drive. Come on, drivers! What are. We know we must be kind, but the law is good, but I just can't keep it. I know I must respect my teachers. That's the law, but I can't keep it. I know I must, I must be respectful towards my parents, but I can't. The law is good. The problem is because of our sinful nature, we cannot keep the law. The second problem is this. Justice demands that lawbreakers pay the consequences. Say, uh oh. Come on, say, uh oh. See, friends, you don't have laws and you break them and nothing happens. Then that's no longer a law. All right? If you, if you want to break the law of gravity, you jump down from level 10 uh, of this building. There's no le- level 10, but level 6. All right? You will splat and probably you know, all your intestines will just you know, spill out from. That's the law of gravity. If you don't respect it, you will splat. Right? It's a law. There are certain laws. There are laws of sleep. If you don't get enough sleep, your body pays for it. Amen? Amen. There, are, there are laws. If you don't exercise, your body pays for it too. Amen? Amen. If you eat the wrong food, your body pays for it. Yes? These are all laws. Some, some people say, but, you are, but we are free. Yes, we are free to do whatever we want on this planet. Anything you want, friends. God gives us complete freedom. But can I say this to you? Let me suggest this to you guys. You are free to do whatever you want, but you are not free from the consequences. You, you know, t- t- tonight, I'm completely free to go out, get drunk, cause an accident, blow up a building, steal a few things, live a totally licentious, self-centered life. I could, I'm totally free to do that. I can just walk out from this place and be a, a real rascal and 
I, I, I'm totally free. But you know what? God gives him that freedom, but he does not give the freedom from the consequences. I'll lose my family. And my kids will hate me. I'll probably, be, uh, the law would, call up, would, would catch up with me. I'll be in prison. I'll serve the rest of my life for blowing up a building probably, you know, uh, in prison. I'm free to do that, but I'm not free from the consequence. See, friends, every kick has a kickback, and that's a payoff. Amen? And justice demands that lawbreakers pay a penalty. The Bible says, for all has sinned and has fallen short of the glory of God, and the penalty of sin is death. But the good news is the, the verse didn't end there, right? In, in Romans 6, verse 20, 23, the verse says, but the free gift of God is what? Eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. That's good news. Yes, we must pay the penalty, but yet because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, Jesus paid the price, satisfied God's justice and what God's law required, and He gave us this free gift. After Jesus had finished His work, what work was He talking about? Let's read this, this verse. The next slide, please. Next slide, please. After Jesus had finished His work, what, what work? The work of dying on the cross, the work of saying it is finished, the work of completing the redemption. He became the source of eternal salvation for someone, for a select few, for everyone. The Jews, the Gentiles, boys and girls, men and women, Chinese, Africans, Caucasians. And can I just push it a little bit further? Can grace be a bit slanderous? Even the rapists who repent, even the murderer who said, God, I failed you, even the pastor who has cheated money, Even the cell group leader who didn't call you up and say, where are you? <laughs> Everyone <laughs> who obeys Him. Now, there are consequences. I'm not saying that, that there are no consequences. There are consequences. There are earthly consequences. But when it comes to eternal salvation, it is not based on what you can do, what you will do, what, what you have done. Come on, somebody. It's based on because Jesus had finished His work. He became the source, the Father, the Abba, the source of all eternal salvation. That's good news. That is good news. Amen. It doesn't matter what your background is, what your culture is, what your religion is, what your personality is. Salvation is for everybody who obeys. And what did the Bible says? As many as will receive Him. You know, the only thing that we need to do is say, I receive you, Jesus. I, I ask you to come into my life. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. Forgive me of all my sins. As many as will receive Him. He gave them the power. Do you know the Bible is all about what He did for us, what He has done for us. He gave us the power to be sons of God. He gave us. Even the faith we live, we live not by our own faith. 
What did the Bible say? We live by the faith of the Son of God. This whole faith thing sometimes you know, can take it a little bit extreme and say, have faith in your own faith. No, man. My, my own faith is weak. Sometimes I am faithless. Sometimes, like on visit last Sunday, I, I question, God, are you real? My faith is limited. And that's why we live not by our own faith, by our own works, but by the faith of the Son of God. We live, in, we live through His faith. Amen. Jesus' faith is perfect. His faith is complete. His faith is powerful. My faith is weak. My faith is incomplete. My faith wavers. His faith is constant. Somebody say Amen. Amen. Romans 5 verse 18 says, here it is in a nutshell. I love it. Message Bible. Thank you, Eugene Peterson. It says, just as one person, who is this one guy? This rascal, just one person did it wrong and caught us in all this trouble with sin and death. Who is this, this one person? Mr. Adam. Our great, 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 great grandfather. We, had, we didn't have, have a choice. Adam, this one person did it all wrong. Another person, who is this person? Come on, somebody shout his name. Jesus did it right and got us out of it. But more than just getting us out of trouble, He got us into His life. I think this verse is worth shouting for. Somebody's just, come on. You know, this is the grace of God. He didn't just get us out of trouble. You know what is this verse? Do you know what this verse is saying? You know what this verse is saying? This verse is saying, Andre, you are a criminal. You have done terrible things. You have lied, you have cheated, you have murdered. You hit someone, that's a murder. You, you, you have committed adultery because you've lost, you've committed adultery. You've done all these terrible things. You should be in, in prison and in prison you were. For 15 years of your life, you were in there. Is there a meaning to life? Why am I trapped? And then someday, Axel brought him to church. I, I'm just making this up. And he walked out the aisle. I received Jesus into my life. And God opened the prison door. He walked out. And listen, he didn't walk out just being poor, being a pauper, you know, in his Gilbert clothes. Now, if that's true, it's really good, Right? He's, he's, he's now free. He's received, he has received his pardon. It's wonderful. I mean, nothing is hell against you. Isn't that great? This in itself is good news. But the Bible says here, He didn't just get us out of trouble. He got us into His life. What sort of life did Jesus live? The abundant, miraculous, perfect, joy-filled, powerful life. And so Jesus said, you know what? This is not the end of the story. I know you are dirty, you are filthy, and you think that you are terrible. But let me clean you up. Let me give you a new hairstyle. Cut your hair. Take away the gel, uh, the, 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 the black and white stripes. Give you a royal robe. And I walk you into my life where you will live a miraculous, powerful, and abundant life. And not just that. I make you a co-heir together with me. You share in my Father's reward, in my Father's inheritance. That's good news and that's the scandal of grace and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wow, I'm taking too much time. 
It's only point two. Well, point three says he paid off the debt I owed God. Paid off. Paid in full. Cancelled all the debt. And we owe God a great deal of debt. Come on. And he paid everything off. Just imagine tomorrow. I'm just using people in the front. Uh. John, John Wong, then they are in black. Right? So it's a perfect example. Black, dirty, terrible life. All right. His old millions of dollars, credit card bills, and he was praying, God, deliver me! The next morning, he woke up you know, and said, ah, oh, terrible day. You know, it's just, I've got to go through life again and the, the debtors will come. And, uh, the, the debtors, right? Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll just come. No, the, the, the creditors will, will be calling me up. And so the phone ring, rang. He looked at it with fear and trembling. He picked it up, thinking some along calling him and said, John Wong, be up, or I'll come and splash blood on your door. All right, so, so he picked up with fear and trembling and says, Hello, Mr. Wong. He says, Who is that speaking, please? He says, I'm, call, I'm calling from Visa. I, I, I'm just calling to inform you that, you know, just by, I don't know why, but we just feel like we should just give a clean slate and that you can, and now you are debt free. Hallelujah. No, they didn't say that, but thank, thank you very much, Mr. Wong. Boom. What, what, what will your response be at that moment? You are exactly right. Exactly right. Which is why people find the gospel so hard to believe. You mean it's true? One day, Jesus just calls me on the phone and said, your debt's cancelled? That's a scam. I've done nothing to repay you yet. Can I be a... Can I clean the floor? Can, can I cook for the church? Can I, can I do this, this, this just to repay my debt? He says, no, your debt's cancelled. tell us die. Cancel! Sorry, I'm a little bit excited this morning because uh, Andre gave me all the good topic to preach. It's a scam. It's heaven scam. I did nothing to deserve this. Nothing. And that's what Colossians 1.14 says. Just have a look. Colossians 1.14 Next verse. Okay, let's, let's have a look. Both are good verses. Can I just read those? Both verses. The, the verses. He cancelled the, the record of the charges against us and took it away by kneeling on, on the cross. So every PUB bill, right? Boom. Credit card bill. Overuse your M1 cell phone. And I mean, every bill, he nailed it on the cross. All the charges. Nail it on the cross. Next verse, please. God's Son paid the price to free us, which means that our sins are forgiven. How many sins? What sins? Every sin is forgiven. I don't, I don't know about, about you. When I read verses like that, I wouldn't just take that and say, okay, yay, now I can live a licentious life. I just go out and just use this as a liberty to sin more. Will you do that? Will you do that? You read all these verses, what God has done, and, and, you, and we can cheapen the grace of God by, by sinning even more? I think the first thing we would, we would do if that happens to me is I'll fall on my face and I say, God, you are so good. I'm undeserving. God changed my life, which is why the Bible says it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. If it happens to me, I'll walk out from this place with fear and trembling. God, what have I done? 
The reverence of fear. You are just way too good, God. Amen. That's a word that I, that's the use of the word tetelestai. Tetelestai. Which, you know, I didn't mention. And, you know, that is, and that word is also used as a battle cry. All right. When you go into a battle and when you defeat your enemy, the soldiers would shout, Tetelestai! Which means we won! We won! We won. And these are the last two meanings of this in our lives. No, no, number four, he defeated the fear of death. Now, this is a universal fear. Everyone uh, fears death. Most of us are afraid of the pain of dying, not so much the dying itself. But can I say this? Jesus broke that power, and this was the battle cry. It was a shout of a victorious conqueror when he says, I've defeated death, and I've proved to you that you don't have to be afraid because I've come back to life again. Amen. He's the resurrection. He is the life. He has defeated the fear of death. See, friends, I really don't think I'm afraid of dying. I'm afraid of the pain of dying. God, if you can just take away the pain of dying, it's just a transfer from one life to another. I'm afraid of dying because I'll miss my family, I'll miss my kids, I'll miss my grandchildren. That's what I fear. But I'm not afraid of dying itself. Because... The Bible says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I mean, to be with Christ, you know, is, is much better than to be present with you. That's, that's what Paul said. We don't have to be afraid of death. I mean, because Jesus has destroyed the power of death, the fear of death. Number five, as I come to a close, he destroyed Satan's power over my life. Whatever power, fear, bondages, strongholds, sicknesses, diseases. He destroyed Satan's power over my life. See, friends, when Jesus died on the cross, Satan thought he won. I can just imagine him saying, I'm so great. I put Jesus to death. I killed the Messiah. Now all those people are going to come to hell with me. Yay, yay. He thought he won. (laughs) I really want to say this. When Jesus said it is finished, Satan should have said, I am finished. (laughs) Because his days are numbered. His days are numbered. He has only two weapons. And some of us are unaware of the devices. Let let us expose him. I need to be in the covering of the community. Let, Let us expose two of his tools that he use, he uses. Number one is temptation. Number two is condemnation. That's all he does. Every day he goes around tempting you. And the way he uses temptation is he trivializes sin. He will come to Axel and say, Axel, come on, everyone does it. What's wrong? I just do it. I, uh, God's grace is enough for you. No problem. Just have go on your knees and say, sorry, God. And you know he will forgive you. It's really okay, Axel. Come on, just do it. Smoke. Do this. Do that. Have this. Try that. What's wrong? And he did that in the garden too, right? No, no change all these years. Same technique. <laughs> He's not very creative. <laughs> Excel, come on. Nothing's wrong. Things were the same. Oh, this is temptation. He trivializes sin. And when you do it, he maximizes condemnation. 
right? All the time. And when you do it, he'll come to say, Ha ha! See, Axel, look what you've done. God will never forgive you. You are the chief of sinners, worse than the Apostle Paul. You have blasphemed the Holy Spirit. You have done this. And, he, and all the biggies start coming at you. And he maximizes condemnation. That's exactly what the devil does. Every single day in your life, in my life, he minimizes, trivializes sin. And then when you do it, he maximizes the consequences that you will never be forgiven. That's his strategy. Minimizes before you do it, maximize it afterwards. Minimize before you do it, maximize it afterwards. And what did Jesus Christ do on the cross when He said it is finished? Friends, He defeated, He conquered the power of temptation and condemnation. The Bible says that Jesus destroyed the power of temptation and gives us now the power to resist it. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, God has freed us from the power of darkness. You're no longer bound to darkness. He has disarmed the power of darkness and He has brought us into the kingdom of His dear Son. The power of darkness is broken over your life. You can say no. And Jesus also destroyed Satan's leverage to accuse you. Colossians 2.15 God took away Satan's power to accuse you of sin and he openly displayed to the whole world Christ triumphed at the cross where your sins were all taken away. Wow. Jesus destroyed Satan's power over our lives. Sickness, condemnation, temptation, bondage, stronghold, Victory! Amen. It is finished! So as I close this morning, bend on stage please, my question to you is this, are you living on the right side of the cross? Are you constantly trying to live and to strive and to attain for what has already been paid for you on the cross. The difference between our faith and every other faith in the world is the difference between just two words. On the wrong side of the cross is the word do. That's religion. Do, 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 do. Do, do, do. Do this. Do that. Do this. Do that. Do, 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 do. That's the wrong side of the cross. If your Christian faith is all about do, 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 maybe you're living on the wrong side of the cross. The right side of the cross is done. Done, 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 done. Done. Well done. Well done. Well done. Done. See, every other religion says you've got to do this and that and this and that. You've got to do, do, do in order to make God like you. But the Bible says it was all done for us on the cross. You don't do anything to add to it. You can't add to it. It's done. It's done. Tetelestai. It's done. It is finished. Friends, I want to give you a formula. If you... If you, apart from all my loud noises and outbursts of uh, excitement, 
if you don't get anything out from this message, I want you to remember this formula. That's Jesus plus nothing equals to everything. It's not Jesus plus my works. Jesus plus my effort. Jesus plus my righteousness. Jesus plus my offering. No, it's Jesus plus nothing equals to everything. So so you are saying, I do nothing? No. It is from where you live. If you live on this side of the cross, every New Testament believer lives from the place of victory. It's different. Fighting from victory is different from fighting for victory. Appropriating healing from the posture of it's already been done for you is different from Please heal me, God. Follow Please, if you have good mercy on me. No, no. It says, it's been done. I receive. Witnessing, changing the world from the right side of the cross is different. You go into the world and you affect the world with the love and the power of Jesus because it's already in you. Christ inside you, the hope of glory. Not, God, if you're willing, please use me. Uh. Please use me. Uh. He wants to use you. Stop being schizophrenic. Choose which side you want to live. We worship here because the heavens are already open. We can freely come into His glory. Amen? Boldly come in and behold His face. Amen? This side. Open your face, God. Open your face. His face is already open to you. You can behold Him and be transformed by Him. In fact, He's altogether lovely. He's altogether beautiful. And when you come into His presence, you can't help but be attracted. You know what, guys? I didn't sleep the whole night. After worship this morning, I'm fully alive because you cannot behold Him without being energized by Him. Amen? One last slide. I want to say this. Yes, Jesus Christ has done all. His work is finished. Next slide, please. But our work is unfinished. The Bible says He has prepared good works for you to walk in. Alright? We are not saved by works. We are saved for good works. The question you must ask yourself this morning is, What's my work? Amen? As believers, we've got our Christian work. Not not wrong. We want to see people come to know Jesus. We want to go into the world, heal the sick. Christian work as a priest. We want to worship Him, pray. That's That's our work towards God. It's not because we have to, but we want to. Our work is unfinished. And our work will one day be finished when He tears open the eastern sky, when He comes riding on a white horse together with the saints of all, and when He says, come up here. That's when our work is done. But from now till that day, we have a work to, we have a work to do. There are things to be done. There are seeds to be filled. There are souls to be won in your school. Songs to be written that have yet been not yet written. Sorry. 
books that you've got to write, businesses you must start for the glory of God. Amen. Churches to be planted, sick to be healed, demons to be cast out. There are works to be done. Amen. Are you with me? You get it? But we cannot do the work unless we understand that we're not living on the wrong side. It's not do, do, do. Amen. It's He has done it and He wants to partner with us. Remember, I hugged John Wong and together we came out from the wilderness leaning on my beloved. This is the posture of the worker in these last days. We work from that place of intimacy, that place of rest. Hallelujah. Can we all stand to our feet? I just pray that you receive something this morning, but I want all of us to remember these three words. It is finished. It's one Greek word, tetelestai, which is the most powerful word ever uttered by a human being. Fully God, fully man, on the cross. In fact, he had to drink something before he shouted with all of his heart and might because he wants the world to hear it. It is finished. Sin is paid for. Sickness has been atoned. Diseases are healed. All your dead being nailed on the cross. As we, ce- as we celebrate Easter next Sunday, you have to remember this on Good Friday. Some of you would know this, but let me repeat this. The only time Jesus called His Father God was when He was on the cross. My God! My God! Do you know why? Because the Father for a moment turned His face away from the Son. Why? Because Jesus had to experience that momentary separation. So He understands what the human soul is going through. What the human soul is going through. A life without God, our Creator. It's meaningless. It's, it's, it's vain. As I was standing there just now worshipping, I just said to the Father, I said, where would I be without you, Father? Where would I be? It's my 25th year of walking with the Lord. Where would I be if you, if you didn't apprehend me, if you didn't uh, uh, arrest me, if, if that scandalous grace didn't touch my life? And Where would I be? Amen. So Father, we come to you right now. And we ask you this morning again for an, an encounter with grace. welcome your presence can we just linger a little bit longer I just feel that God wants to just touch a few people this morning let's sing a song